a lot of people call me Dr. Lisa. Some, I mean, All right, as long I'll as it's go. not a bad name, I'm good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty All right, easy. That's the voice of psychologist Lisa Stroman, and I'm Chris Weidman. This is Won't Back Down, presented by BioAccelerator. Dr. Lisa is a licensed psychologist. She is the founder of Digital Citizens Academy, a program that is dedicated to improving the lives of students, parents, and educators through its prevention and diversion programs. She is also the host of the podcast called The Point with Dr. Lisa Stroman. So I met Dr. Lisa Stroman through my cousin, Terry. They were friends out in Arizona, and uh, I was trying to figure out who to have on my podcast next, and my cousin mentioned her, and it was super interesting. I'm like, I really want to talk to her. She's a clinical psychologist that specializes in addiction of technology and what that does to the brain, what that does to people uh, mentally and emotionally, and especially with technology growing at a rapid pace, and it's hard to keep up with you know, all the different studies on, on what it's doing to everybody. Uh, I have three kids. You know, They're on technology. They're playing video games. They're watching TV. Um, you know, they start listening to maybe podcasts soon, and social media you know, is going to be introduced to their lives here pretty soon. Uh, and I want to know what it is doing to our children and our brains. And so I brought her on. And we spoke about a lot of things. We talked about the addiction of technology. We talked about social media and how people find self-worth in social media and how that is super dangerous. We even spoke about masks and it being mandated and if it should be mandated. Uh, some of the effects of the pandemic on not just kids, but everybody in general and mind-blowing numbers of you know depression and suicide rates and different things that she goes into uh very scary um we go into the the recent facebook whistleblower that i'm sure everybody's interested in we speak about that um all of that is coming up in a moment but before we begin i want to tell you about won't back downs presenting sponsor bioaccelerator bioaccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I was just in Medellin, Colombia, and I got my whole body injected with millions and millions of stem cells. And it is mind-blowing how much better I feel already. Um, I have an up-and-coming MMA superstar that lives nearby, and I had him come over to my house to help train him for his first pro MMA fight and it started off with me wanting to just help him out and train him and the next thing I know we're like play sparring next thing I know we're like wrestling and grappling and like really sparring and that's about a week two weeks now we've been doing that and I feel great like it's insane I would not be where I'm at today if it wasn't for going down to Medellin Colombia and getting stem cells at BioAccelerator super grateful uh, thanks again to BioAccelerator for helping me create Won't Back Down. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Lisa Stroman. A little nervous to hear your takes on everything because I have three kids and uh, technology is obviously a big part of our house. And I am aware of some of the issues that you know go down with technology, but to hear it from the expert uh, itself is a little nerve wracking, but I'm ready. So, um, Tell me about tell me about technology and uh, the addiction issue and what is, what it's doing to our kids' brains and our brains. And well, I mean, first of all, like nobody should be scared. I mean, we're all kind of in this together. I've got two kids, so if it makes you feel a little bit better, I've talked about this for so long, um, and I think it's it's really surprising. I mean, I did something on uh, I think it was ABC Family way back and there's a host there and we kind of looked at the inner workings of his family and the kids were waking up to iPads and going to bed with iPads. And I was like, that's not right. Like we should probably change that. Yeah. Um, but there's ways to manage it. I mean, we are in this global economy of technology and we've got to all figure this out. Uh, I've got teenagers. I think your kids are younger than mine. So yeah. um, you, you're in a good spot. And four, 12 and 14, something like that. Uh, 13 and 14 now. Right, yeah. yeah. Two teenagers. I'm, I'm yeah. Uh, 11 uh, 
nine and and six. They just keep changing on me. I got to really think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get three, it's harder to keep track. I know. So I know. It's crazy. It is a little bit harder. Yeah. So, you know, for me, technology is kind of like, how do we understand, like, this is the first generation. So Generation Z, uh, as we call it, they're the first one that are growing up online. Like they just have not had an opportunity to um, have the world without it. So where, you know, you and I had the opportunity to like actually sit in curiosity and wonder for however long it was, like they've grown up with Google. So they don't have those moments where they have breaks or anything like that. So to your point, it changes the brain a lot, right? Like you probably see it in your kids just as a dad, right? I will say during the pandemic, so my son, my nine-year-old, he was he, he super athletic, into sports, outside, very good in school. And the pandemic hit, and we we're you know the lockdown happened, and he was never into video games. You know, I, I played video games, you know, growing up. I still play video games here and there, and so I kind of like the idea of my son playing a little bit of video games with me every once in a while. He really had he had no care, which obviously is a good thing. And then next thing I know, the pandemic hit. He started playing Fortnite and started playing Madden. And then next to a note, like we're trying to get him off this thing. And he's giving us attitude. And he was always, you know, that was very rare to get attitude. Not that he's perfect or anything, but it was like you were ripping him apart from something that he did not want to give up. It's crazy. I've never seen him act that way. Um, than when he's, you know, where you have to tell him, you know, listen, it's time you're off, you know, you're off Madden, you're off Fortnite. That's it. So we had to come up with all these different, you know, parameters uh, on how you're able to use the technology. Uh, but yeah, I, I see it in my life. Uh, thank God my daughter's not really into it. Uh, but now she's walk, walking around school with a Chromebook, you know, and she's got a phone. She doesn't have a number or anything like that, but to message us and some of the friends that we allow her to message. Um, but we definitely have an uphill battle. You know, we're getting, you know, my daughter's in junior high. She's going to be, you know, going to high school. And, you know, now technology is just a, such a huge part of their lives. So I don't know how to balance this. We, we started doing my son. We started doing it to where he just plays video games on the weekends. Um, and when we first did that, he started watching YouTube videos of the video games. He started like, you know, it's like, so all right, I'm not, I'm not playing video games, but now I'm watching other people play video games. I'm like, are you that obsessed? This is crazy. And then we are pretty busy on the weekend. So he really doesn't play that much. And he, he slowed it down. Like, uh, you know, I think over the last like four or five months, we really slowed him down to where he, like he does, he barely plays, but when he does play on the weekends, he's, you know, super into it. I don't think if he had to choose one thing to do all day long, it would be to play video games. And if not that it's TV. So it scares the crap out of me. And now to hear that it could be affecting their brains in, in some type of way. It's like, all right, Let's gotta, pay attention, figure gotta, out what's going on. We got to sit down on. for you to help, you know, what's happening here. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's super classic with, um, again, this is, it's an unfair battle because the tech industry knows how to tap in. So if we break it down for the audience, like if you have a drug or an alcohol um, brought into the body, we can totally understand that, right? You have a drink or you take something, you're going to feel that, that effect in your brain and you know that it's impacting you. And we call that a substance addiction if it gets into an addictive phase, but there's a, there's actually something that we're doing to ourselves that makes it actually change the chemistry in our brain. Food is the same way. So if you think about like the unprocessed sugars, uh, the, um, there's a super cool, well, for nerds like me, um, a super hey, cool I'm a nerd too, right? <laughs> Just because I get punched in the face, you know, it doesn't mean that's affecting my brain. It doesn't affect your nerdiness. Okay, <laughs> no. good. So <laughs> sugar, the bitter truth talks about how sugar potentiates in our brain higher than heroin, for instance. So, mm. you know, if you think about like alcohol, drugs, or foods and certain foods, like those, um, those fructose and those, those um, kind of unprocessed sugars, they potentiate. And we know that we're doing it to ourselves because we're doing something, we're taking something in. The video games and the social media actually is what we, what leads into a process addiction because we're not taking a substance in, but the exact same process in the brain that, that there's a part called the dopamine reward system. Um, and there's lots of things that happen in that. But basically when you do those technologies, it completely highlights that same area in their kids. And so I would say 15 years ago, I started paying attention. My daughter's 14. I was at the FBI before and I saw um, Columbine happen. So Klebold and Harris were like really the first ones that kind of posted stuff online. And I saw the psychology and that kind of cult following that happened after that. And I thought, 
oh God, like this is a big deal. Like we're going to start to kind of iterate psychology by technology. And that's how I kind of got into this. It's like, to me, it's like, how do we create a technology balance um, and how do we understand that it does actually rewire our brain? And that's why you're having such a hard time pulling your son off because you're literally like pulling kind of like a crack pipe away from an addict. And it is hard for their brains to come and get resettled. Uh, and I think that that's important for all parents and humans, like adults have the same issue. We just have to understand that process and understand how we manage that. Yeah. And so how does that affect them in normal reality, you know, everyday life, you know, as far as reward systems go? Great question. I think that what we see is, um, A, the reason why it's it's tough for parents is like they don't have a fully developed brain. And so we have to make those choices for them, right? Like your wife and you are like going in and putting parameters around it. Like you can play on the weekends, but you know, for me, it's like real sports before fake sports. Like I don't let, I don't allow any violent video games because that's even worse on their brains. But mm. for our kids, it was like real sports before fake sports. So if you, you play for two, for two hours, you can have two hours on the weekend and that's the max. If we never do over two hours, that's kind of the magic number with developing brains. You don't want any, I call kind of junk food technology more than two hours at a time. So um, to, would, would you suggest, uh, not that you want, you know, I'm trying to parent everybody's kid out there, but yeah. I, I value your opinion. What would you suggest? Is it like two hours a week? Is it two hours a day? I mean, it's, it's really tricky because kids are all super different. You know, if your kids are um, developmentally or emotionally, or if there's like any sort of kind of like learning process or anything like that, technology during the week is top, like that kind of fun, I call it the junk food tech, you know, the social media, the games, all of that stuff. If you let them do that after school, so they're doing seven hours in school, they need downtime, but their brain is on high alert during school periods. They need that downtime. If you let them use downtime with technology, that creates a hyper arousal in their brain. So you're kind of keeping that aroused brain in there. And so they're not really getting that kind of disconnect yeah. that they need. So in my house, personally, we do a, we do Sunday through Thursday, um, that they don't have technology. Um, and then on weekends, Friday, Saturdays, and then part-time on Sunday, if they play sports on the weekend, they can have, um, typically like two games on the weekend, the kids kind of grow out of video games when they get a little bit older. Um, so you have that to hopefully to look forward to, yeah, um, hopefully. yeah, they do. I mean, they, yeah. because peers become more important. So then it kind of switches over to, they want to be talking to their peers, um, and I, and I would highly recommend with all parents, like, don't let them get into that discord server gaming, like, uh, like environment. Cause a lot of parents do allow that kind of offline communication via discord. And that is to me like rot with all sorts of unregulated, like bad people that are communicating. You can use it for good, but the kids world, you know, you have to think about you're bringing in hundreds of thousands of children at any given time, sometimes millions of kids, like depending on the time of day. Um, and that's where the bad guys are going to go to go and kind of connect with your kids. So um, it's kind of like putting them all in a park and saying like, oh, because they're with a bunch of other kids, they're probably safe. Yeah. Right. In the virtual world. But like, mm -hmm. if I'm a bad guy or a pedophile, um, like, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the edge of the park and I'm going to try to pretend to be a kid yeah. and I'm going to get that's in there. So it's terrifying, right? Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. As far as technology goes, where do we, where do we place TV? And is that one of the things Sunday through Thursday, is that, is that TV included or is that just more video games and, you know, social media? So TV is more of like a passive, like, you know, you're bringing in passive, um, uh, viewing in that point, it's not interactive in the same way. So you don't have that same arousal point, but I would just say kind of, and this is just me being a parent, like what is the TV that your kids are watching and are you watching it with them? Yeah. So is there, um, to me, it's looking at like the parent, is there, is there a substitution for your influence? So what used to be parent first, then you would have the educational system. So in terms of influence on our kids, ethical, moral development, it's like, parent, school, church, community, right? Those are kind of the, the places where we kind of expect our kids to grow up and we want them to be influenced by those groups. When you start to insert social media or television, um, what you're getting, social media is interactive. So if it's more exciting than say you and your wife, like sitting down and having a conversation at dinner, which of course social media would be because there's a thousand things happening, then you're letting those 
people and those streams of consciousness influence who they become as a person over you. So that's what terrifies me. And in television is kind of the same way. It's a little bit less extreme, but depending on what the shows are that you watch, right? Are you watching cooking shows because your kids are interested in cooking or you guys do cooking together as a family, or, you know, are you letting them sit down and watch cartoons like SpongeBob and are they getting the adult humor in that or not? And so you kind of have to look at the, what it is that you're letting them watch. Yeah. I watched this. I feel like there's another part of it. I'm guessing you've heard of it. Have you ever ever seen that documentary, the social dilemma? Yes. Cause that kind of opened up my eyes to kind of what is going on uh, without us realizing what's your, can you just kind of sum up that what's going on with that? Sure. So I think the social dilemma did a really nice job of showing the, the public kind of how the algorithms and the behind the, the, the computers work. Right. So um, I think it highlighted Tristan Harris, which I have, I have multiple issues with. So Tristan Harris was like originally working with Facebook. He like had this like kind of aha moment that like maybe kind of like the whistleblower that just happened in the media. Mm. And he had this aha moment that like, maybe we're not making good choices. He created this like um, PowerPoint. It was like 182 slides, which I actually have the content of. Cause I was like, what did he actually say? So sending 182 slides to 20 year olds in the tech industry is never going to like really go yeah. well. Like, yeah. um, but, he, but the, his heart was behind like, Hey, we're making decisions that are changing the way that humans function. My issue with him, this is a side note on a soapbox. It's that yep. he stayed there six more years and got millions of dollars before he actually left and found his conscience. So oh, I have wow. a little hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, as did the Pinterest guy. And as did the, the guy that, that created the like button, right. They all made their money and then all of a sudden found their conscience. So I don't know really who to trust in the tech industry. I know that the social dilemma brings up a really good point in that the algorithms that are created are part human and part AI. And I think what's happened in our tech world, uh, whether it's gaming or whether or not it's um, social media, is that there were a little bit beyond our skis on it because the artificial intelligence and the computer learning, I think, is taking over. And I think that we've lost a little bit of control if they were being totally honest. And that's what terrifies me because what they're able to do is change the algorithms, right? They, Zuckerberg and those guys can go in and change the levers. So somebody with um, social influence, like a social influencer, you have, I think a huge following, I'm guessing, right. I'm not, no, sorry. Like it's hard for me to watch people get hurt. Not that, not that that I have it because I'm good on social media. It's just because I want some big fights. If you follow me based on like the stuff I'm putting out there, I don't know why you would do it. I'm, I'm, I'm the worst. (laughs) Well, you're, but you, so you have a following. And so what they do is they take those people that say have over 10 million followers. And then this is just a specific project that I know that Facebook actually has, and it's called the cross-check program. Cross-check is a program where they put celebrities, influencers, and politicians where they handpick and cherry pick those people. And you are not subject to the same algorithms as the general public. And so you get elevated on the posts that you're doing at a different, a different heightened awareness and alert than the rest of the public. And to me, that's, that's where you're now manipulating social feed and you're doing it in a way that the public, if it's not aware of those programs, pisses me off. It should piss anybody off, right? Like not because those people are getting more energy. It's just like, why is there, a, why are there two rules and why yeah. is there a double standard that should never make anybody happy? Yep. You ever hear shadow banning? I'm guessing you have. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was like, I, I would see some of my friends and like other people that I don't know come out and be like, I'm being shadow banned right now. Look at like how much less likes I have and this and that. And I'm like, eh. it was hard for me to believe, like stop focusing on how many likes you have. It's like kind of just sounds like a shallow way to complain about like not having as many people liking your stuff until I had one of these guys on Dr. Paul Saladino. Uh, I had him on my podcast. He is known as the carnivore MD on like Instagram. And he has like 400,000 followers. Well, he did. And I was tagging him in because I started doing the carnivore diet for 30 days. So I would tag him in on my stories when I'm, you know, cooking a steak and, you know, or eating, you know, one of his supplements. And out of nowhere, I couldn't tag him anymore. It just wasn't allowed. And it was legit. He was shadow banned. And then you could see that certain things that he would say would have like a lot of likes if it wasn't talking about things that Instagram felt like uh, 
that, you know, they didn't like, it was like, you know, tons of likes. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you start talking about COVID, if you start talking about mass mandates or, you know, just eating healthy and working out is probably more important than you just questioning the narrative that is getting thrown down our throat on mainstream media. Out of nowhere, he shadow banned. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Just by telling people to go outside and to work out and to eat healthy and that maybe we should think about these vaccines and mandates and, you know, um, out of nowhere, he was legitimately, and I seen him firsthand shadow ban. And even when I, and then, and I was like, all right, this is legit. And then when I would actually like repost his stuff, all of a sudden my likes were down like insane. And I, and I swear, I, I, I hate even saying that because it sounds so like shallow to be like, Oh, I had less, I have less likes now, but that's like legit. And the fact that Instagram and Facebook has that type of power where they could decide on how many people are looking at your stuff based on their opinion on what you're saying is just mind boggling to me. Well, and I think that the public doesn't recognize that, right? Like, so they don't really notice it unless you're at your level or you're at a, a position where, so I've been talking for 15 years on the technology and its influence on our kids, right? Like think about how Microsoft and um, iPads like went into the school systems, right? You write a grant, you get a free technology or super reduced technology, well, super awesome for the industry itself, because now we're giving children access and we're getting their data in, whether it's an iOS system or an Android system, we're getting access to those kids and we're training them on whether you're not a Mac person or you're um, an IBM person, right? Like, like you have a difference in what you're, you're educating those users and you're teaching them to start using that educational media, which feeds into their social media. I saw it happening 15 years ago and I've been talking and giving Ted talks and, you know, publicly speaking and traveling and talking about this. I recently started partnering with a group that has a bunch of CIA analysts, like experts, like they are all retired and we're going in and, and doing a bunch of work on trafficking and super crazy stuff. They went in and vetted me and they went in and they're like, Lisa, like you have been like shadow banned for years and they have shut down all of the information that you're putting out there and created basically kind of a silo for, unless you know me, like you're not hearing the things that I'm saying, it's which is freaking ridiculous. I, I've spent $500,000 of my own personal money building K through 12 programming to educate kids solely just to like understand the system. And I cannot get it to, to lift off the ground because of it. And so that to me is like, again, like not because I'm like sad that I, you know, I mean, I'm willing to donate my life to this cause because I have kids, you have kids. Yeah. Um, and you think about it. It's like, it's bigger than that. Like our children need to go up. They need to get educated. They need to go to college. So if your kids are posting and saying like tagging in a college that they're interested in going into, or they're tagging in their sport and they're interested in getting seen for baseball or soccer, or whatever it is that they're doing, and they want to be recognized for their sport but they're not getting that algorithm isn't supporting that because there's other kids or parents think about the, the varsity blues operation where those parents were paying millions of dollars to get their kids into Yale and USC and all that shit. Mm -hmm. They could do that on social media and they could put their kids at the top of the algorithm if they buy the right ads and oh, our kids, if we don't, aren't going to be seen, yeah. which means that they're not going to have the same opportunities. That's a bigger issue that people aren't paying attention to. Absolutely. Um, especially it, ma it makes me think about how now the NCAA, you could get paid if you're an athlete, which I think is good. I think they should have that. But right away, you've seen like Barstool Sports and other people, you know, they started, you know, taking in athletes that were in college. And if you look at the list and I haven't gone through everybody, so I am making a generalization. It's just my opinion. It was either, you know, really good looking girls super good, mostly good looking girls and yeah. good, look, you know, good looking guys. But if you go on their pages, all like, you know, bikini shots, you know, guys with the shirts off, it wasn't because they're a great athlete, you know, or, you know, they they made this great speech and like, you know, they can articulate themselves. Well, it was all based on their social media presence. So now kids in high school and junior high, they're going to start realizing, Oh, if I want to make money, you know, on social media, I, I have to do things that are flamboyant. I have to do things that like really catch the people's eye. And that's the algorithms I'm sure that are really, you know, spreading that as, as much as possible, uh, that type of content, which scares me for the future of the country. If that's like how shallow we're going to go, you know, just whatever it takes to get those likes. 
Well, and I think that that goes back to, to me, it's like, if you can break yourself free and that was like that Ted talk I just did was like your self-worth. It's like, if you re- yeah. recognize that that algorithm is wrong and that it's not your true self-identity, right. That's why I think like family first, that nuclear, like connection, you know, not everybody, I grew up in a broken home, like, you know, not everybody has that, but they have people. And if you can identify and get at least one safe person or adult in your life as a kid and recognize, Hey, I don't need to be posting on this. And I don't need to be kind of Instagram famous because it's super fake. And it's not really what, what kind of gives you value long-term because if anything should be, should be like taken in, like it can be turned off like that right? Like they can turn it off. And now, now what do you have? If that's Uh, all your worth is that's terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's scary how much people weigh in on how how many likes and comments people are getting on social media. And if all of a sudden, you know, you, you have like 4,000 likes and it drops to 2000 likes, what that does to you mentally and emotionally, you know, is, is a scary place to be. And it all revolves around these complete random people that are either liking it or not. And then also complete random people who work for a company or the algorithms, you know, so really, I mean, first of all, I, I listened to your TED talk. It was awesome about self-worth and it's sad to see that this is where people find their self-worth and people, I, I always make sure when people say something to me about, you know, my, you know, Instagram, and, oh my God, you got a million followers. And I'm like, yo, it doesn't mean anything. It literally doesn't mean anything. I want some fights. That doesn't mean I, you're, I'm more important than you if you don't have a million followers. And it doesn't mean that the person who has 40 million followers is more important than me because they have that, like, you can't get involved in that game. And I learned it early on when like just with criticism, you, if you start getting into the, if you start looking at all the people that are commenting nicely about you and, and that builds you up inside and that gets you excited, you're going to, you're going to ultimately look at this negative stuff just as strongly and that's going to tear you down. So it's going to be a constant up and down. You're going to be searching for that positive comment. And then all of a sudden that negative one hits you and just drags you into dumps and to rely, like to have your mental health relying on that is a scary, scary place to be. Well, and I think that it's, you know, like back in 2013, um, Facebook did an experiment where Zuckerberg was super proud to announce that he was able to manipulate our moods. And I was like, as a psychologist, I was like, what are you talking about? And why are you, I really do feel like there's something like kind of off with that guy because he was super excited that he was like, I can make somebody happy or I can make somebody sad. And he was like, so proud of that. But to your point, it's, we can do that for each other as human beings in, in that context. When I'm posting something, I, if I go on media, uh, I multiple times, like I, because of my FBI background, like I talk about shootings or um, just mental health and things like that. So I'll always talk. I'm like, I want to talk about mental health first before I'm going to talk about gun rights or anything like that. So they try mm. to like pull me into that, like Man. salacious argument and all that stuff. And I said, you know, look, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you about what I think maybe went wrong here, but let's talk about the mental health issue that may have been starting for 10 years prior. And let's get our, our feet around that. And like, you know, talk about that first. Um, and I've been like given death threats. So I tell people, I like, you know, I don't, I never watch, I never look at my comments. I never do, you know, I try to do a little bit of like, you know, cross promotion if I can or whatever, but I don't, I I think I don't think about the fact that I'm one person in a 4.8 billion person community that's going to have a loud enough voice to make a difference. And if somebody really finds me special enough to come and threaten me and tell me that they want to come kill me, um, you know, go for it. Like, you know, I, I know that that's on you and it's like where you are. I can't live my life scared. I can't live my life with you judging me for who I am. I was born a certain way. I had parents a certain way. I have an upbringing like you did, like you do some fights. I do some technology talks and it's just what we do, right? Like yeah. it's, it's who yeah. we are. And, and so we do our best in our fields. Um, and, and the fact that we might have a voice because of it doesn't give people the right to come in and judge us or do anything differently just because we're people that they can have access to. And that, that, that's what scares me, right? Like the people like particularly in your position, the people feel the right that they can either access you or give you those comments. Um, It's not, it's not something that they should feel comfortable doing. And that's, that's where I think that psychology of humanity and having grace with one another has to come back. Yeah. What is that psychologically where a guy could, talk to me the way in the worst ways imaginable 
And it just bonkers my mind because it's like, I know you would never be able, you would never say that to my face. Not because I'd beat you up, just because that's not how human beings talk to each other. You wouldn't just come up to me and, and, and say all these terrible things about me. You know what I mean? But then you have this outlet where you could say it to me and it obviously probably makes you feel good for a short period of time. Right. I think that the psych, well, the psychology behind it is like, if you know, you're in a car and somebody cuts you off and you feel like you can scream at them, like you probably wouldn't do that <laughs> knowing that they could hear you yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing, you know, so you yeah. get that kind of emotional outburst. That's a good, to, that's a good example. Right. So I think it's, it's like that you kind of have that distance between somebody, but it tells me that the bubble of like society and where we are is we have like this generalized anxiety. We have a generalized depression, stress, like we have a all time high of this kind of psychological unsettledness. And those aren't the things we post on Instagram, right? We don't go out there on Facebook and say like, had a super shitty day, like totally in the dumps. I don't no. feel well. Like we don't, you know, yeah, I had I, a terrible fight with my wife today. Can't stand her. <laughs> right. You know? That's not going on social media. No, definitely yeah. not. So that we don't see that part of people. And so particularly when you're public, you're like, your life is so great. And you have such just awesomeness. Like, you know, it, it's going to make me feel good to get your attention and like ding you so that I can get a reaction. If I get a reaction now I matter. And that's where it's like, you know, I always tell like my people that are like my, um, like you or celebrities, like I do mm -hmm. a lot of stuff with Dr. Drew, who's like one of the most sensitive oh, yeah. and awesome humans in the world. If you ever want to <laughs> talk to him, um, awesome. he, yeah. he's like awful, like with trolls, he takes it so personal. And I was like, dude, like quit responding. Like you cannot have conversation. Like you're on team mom for God's sakes. Like you're going to get that audience. Like yeah. they're going to attack you. So yeah. um, I don't know how people yeah. do that. Some people could just handle it. I have a buddy of mine. He's a, he's a fighter too. And he goes back, he goes back and forth with people all day long. And I'm like, how do you do that? Does that not bother you one way or the other? He's like, no, nah, it doesn't bother me. I'm like, I don't know how you do that, man. That would, that would just ruin my whole day. You're wasting your whole day. Just giving these guys time. You know? Well, you, and maybe that's his energy, right? Maybe he uses that to pull in that anger and that vitriol of that person and like into his fights, right? Like maybe that's part of his fuel that he does. Yeah. Um, and I think that people are also, it's a continuum, right? Like you have three kids. I guarantee all of them are different just mm -hmm. because it's human nature. Some people are super empathic. Like for me, if I walk in a room and somebody is in a bad mood or sad, I absorb it like a sponge. And then there's some people that are like super, like, I, would, I don't want to call them icy, but they're like on the opposite spectrum of that yeah, empathic. Right. And they can yeah. just let things like roll off of their back and it doesn't impact them. So, you know, it just depends where you are in that spectrum. It's not good, bad, or indifferent, but you got to know yourself. That is a great point. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely one of those guys. Like I'm, I'll take it, I'll take it to heart and it'll bother me for, you know, a couple hours. So it's not worth it for me to be obsessed and, you know, looking at comments and taking it to heart because it'll ruin my day. It's not worth it to me. Um, so let's talk about the pandemic and, and what that has done, you think, you know, to everyone's lives, lockdowns and the mess, and, and it's a constant battle. I don't know where you stand with it at all, but like we're in South Carolina right now and our kids aren't wearing masks, thank God, but they're, they're trying to force it. They're trying to get it to uh, be mandated again. And, um, I personally don't want my kids to wear a mask. I got a, you know, a kindergartner, you know, he doesn't get to see his, you know, teacher's face, you know, every day and see the smiles and, you know, they don't get to see his face like that. And last year it was like that. It was mass. So this year, uh, like the kids obviously have the right to wear the mask if they want to. And a lot of kids do. Um, but my kids don't. What, what's I your stance? On, uh, yeah. What's, <laughs> what's your stance on all, all that? And like, and also the uh, psychological uh, effects of the pandemic on people in a whole. Well, I think, um, I think that it should be personal choice. Honestly. I mean, that's my personal take. I, I think that people don't recognize the psychological impact of covering your face. So, you know, us doing this via a video, I can see your reactions. I can see who you are. Uh, that helps right. When we're having conversations versus just being auditory and with kids, it's the same thing. Facial expressions, mostly about 80% of how we feed off of other people is that behavioral cueing. So with little kids, like your kindergartner, without the mask, we're missing things like speech, like speech Im impediments. So kids that might have like a slight list or things like that, we're missing all of that. Kids aren't looking at how we articulate words in certain ways, looking at lips, watching tongues, hearing those nuances, 
Uh, those are things that are important for kiddos at those developing stages to get. So there are like those true impacts that we're seeing when we're wearing masks versus not masks. And you have to weigh the difference in terms of like, are little kids really the ones that are, that are at a point where they're impacted by this virus? And you have to weigh the risks and the benefits in that. And I think that that to my, in my opinion, I think, you know, I was born in the United States. My dad was, you know, Bureau Chief of the Department of Justice. Like I am all United States, red, white, and blue. And I think that that's what makes our country great. Like we should be able to have the ability to weigh in and recognize the information that we have and make those choices for ourselves. Um, and when I look at the pandemic psychological impacts on our kids, um, we have, uh, you know, like a, I was just pulling up some data to talk to you about that. There's been like 131% increase in the pandemic in previous years of kids that are self-harming and suicidal, 131% increase. Our kids are in danger. I think that there's like a 400, I'll pull up some of these stats for you. Um, are we not, are people talking about this? Is this something that you see on, on mainstream media? I try, right? So this is, so my data is from Gaggle. So um, gaggle.net is the group that I work with. They're an educational based company. They serve over um, 50 million kids in districts across the United States. So specifically between 2019 and 2020. So that year, pandemic to post pandemic or next, you know, secondary pandemic, you have a 252% increase in suicide and self-harm. You have a 340% increase in violence towards others. And you have a 362% increase in nudity and sexual content between our kids. That is insane. If you look at last year to this year, that is, that's, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a huge amount. Um, Drugs and alcohol have gone up 431%. So I mean, I can dive in. Are we talking about kids with that or is that adults, everybody? No, we're talking just kids, K through 12. Right. And if I, and if I dive into the elementary school ages, a huge percentage of that statistics is in our in our K through six, because those kids have never had technology before. Parents haven't had the ability to make a choice on whether or not our kids are going to be streaming and like introduced to the world. Right. So they had to go on technology. They had to in order to get educated for their their academic institutions. And so what, what I'm seeing is like that instantly opened up this Pandora, that this Pandora's box where kids now have access to the world. And we're seeing the results of like where we have such a massive increase in real serious issues with our kids that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. And it terrifies me. You know, we need bigger voices that are out there. Clearly not me who's shadow banned on a regular basis. Well, I'm going to be shadow banned. I'm, I'm shadow banned now just from talking to you. Thanks. You, you <laughs> I'm, sorry. Me. I'm sorry. That goes, won't back down. <laughs> I'll send you this report. How about that? I'll send it to you so you have it. So however that. you want to use it, because I think, again, like, and Gaggle gets attacked all the time where they're saying like, Hey, should we really be paying attention to what kids are posting in their, in their schoolwork and things like that? My point is safety first. And if our kids are actually emoting these emotions in, in ways where we can pick that up and intervene, they saved, I think last year alone, they saved over 4,000 kids, um, saved their lives and intervened before they could take their own life. So to me, one kid is enough. You're saving Absolutely. over 4,000. Like that's, that's a huge issue. Like we need, yeah. we need to bring that to light. And it's worth getting shadow banned over. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> to me, it, it, yeah. right. Like, this is crazy. They literally like things like this. This is such a good cause to, to, to fight for. And you would think everybody would be on the same page with it. You know, get putting this type of information out there for people to make their decision, you know, to have their personal choice. You know, this, this is the land of the free. Right. And it's scary to see where it's heading, but it's amazing how social media can have such a big impact and, and stop things like this from getting across. And then obviously media in general, you know, they have certain things that they want to, uh, you know, get across to people and they're going to kind of stick to that. And anything that goes against that uh, is not going to be seen. And so everyone hates each other. You know, there's such a divide because people who not saying that everybody who does their own research and, and, you know, and is able to look outside the, uh, the mainstream narrative is smarter or, or always right, but you, you become open-minded and you're not as, you know, you know, there's not as much hatred from one side to the next. I think, you know, if that's what you do. Well, and learn how to have those discussions, right? So if you think about what we do with kids typically is that we introduce to them early on, you know, it's not polite in, in small company to talk about like race, politics, or religion. And in fact, I think that those are the three things that we should teach kids that you don't have to have the same race or the same religion or the same 
political views to love somebody and care for somebody if we teach them respect and we teach them grace. It doesn't mean that somebody who disagrees with you is wrong. It just means that we have different different viewpoints on something. So that whole thing we used to be like agree to disagree or it's interesting. Like I'm always super curious. It's like how did you get to this place or how did you how did you come to this this belief, because I don't know, maybe that's just my nature. And it's good that I'm a psychologist because of that. But I think that if we teach our kids, like it's okay to understand and love people that are different than ourselves, we'd have to understand and respect them for that. And that's the part that I see us tearing each other apart over on social media and not teaching that, that nuance. Um, and that's what I, you know, again, with technology, we can use it as a gift to teach kids how to do it in a kind way. Um, and, and that's the part mm. that just frustrates me that we haven't done yet. Clip that. That was, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> because that's what the world needs to hear. And I, I don't understand how anybody could argue with that. You know, I just think it's very crystal clear and something that old people who are logical should understand and, and, uh, be good with when it comes to like this, uh, suicides and, and all those numbers that are up now, do we know if it's from the lockdowns, the mess, like, is there any way to differentiate the numbers on what we actually think it's coming from? So there's no way to differentiate it. We can look at last year versus this year, right? And we can we can imply that there's like a breakdown fundamentally. I spent the the pan like so the pandemic, let's say, hits in January, February that summer, post that initial shutdown. I spent with um, governor's offices and Department of Education, and I said, get the oxygen masks on your educators first. Cause it's going to be kind of a hot and wild ride, right? Like we got to there, if our teachers aren't okay, our kids aren't going to be okay. Yeah. And if our kids aren't okay, you know, our families there, the kids don't have families that are all stable, right? You know, my work, your work probably less impacted by the pandemic. Um, but there's a lot of people that were impacted. So, you know, for us to think that our kids were coming home to kind of the same household energy, a lot of kids weren't. So their households weren't as safe as they were. So mm-hmm. that bubbling up of stress and maybe violence and, you know, financial stresses or marriage breaking apart. And, you know, a lot of people found out that maybe their marriages work better when people travel and they can travel <laughs> as much. Um, yeah. I did figure out that I do well on the road more. Um, I appreciate my husband more <laughs> in those yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but I think that it's like, you know, I think that we have to recognize that it's probably related to this pandemic and the shift fundamentally of so much time, screen time versus human to human time and having that kind of deep breath. How do we kind of center ourselves again? And, you know, I'm not a foo-foo kind of psychologist at all. Um, I mean, me being friends with your aunt probably tells you that. Um, I'm more of a like, you know, get your big girl panties on, let's get, let's get to work and figure out like how we manage through this situation. Um, And I'm finding out that like a lot of people are even trying to do that, can't do it. So I think that these numbers are specifically related to the pandemic and specifically related to something that we can't turn off. So kids being thrust into these tech worlds and tech kind of bubbles where they feel like their social life is their life has to be in some way brought back to center where it's like, no, we need you need at least the same amount of time offline as you have online. And if you do things like to me, real sports before fake sports, if you look at, um, you know, my family is like, if you don't have it, you have to do one musical instrument and have one sport for, for both of our kids. Like if you're in, I don't care what instrument it is. You can change, you can change sports. I don't care, but you're going to be committed to that um, in my household. So because I want balance, right. Like, and that's healing for their brains. And then talking about stuff that's happening in real life, like the EA, the EA sports drive for um, your your son is too young for it, but high schools are having EA sports teams now. So if you look at competitive gaming oh, industries, yeah. it takes over 250,000 hours on a video game in order to get to that level. So you're looking at 10 to 11 hours every day for a kid who's in high school, middle school in order to get to that level. So where's their academics? right? Where is their sleep? So we have the highest rates of diabetes in those gamers. We have the highest rates of brain. Um, In my opinion, you've got like a tech induced ADD. They're, they're living on monsters because they're not getting enough sleep and they're living for this moment where they can maybe be that top guy and be on a poster for EA sports and get a $10,000 check. It's just not worth it. What's the percentages of somebody becoming a professional gamer, you know, and same percentage uh, of becoming you. 
Yeah, not very high. Yeah, so don't get punched in the head if you don't really need to. And don't play too many video games because the chances of you becoming a, you know, a a professional and making money and that being your job is I do know a guy, but I wonder how many years, and it's very rare. I do know this kid. He's a professional gamer. And I feel like he does it the right way if you're gonna do it. He does it's almost like a regular job. He does like a nine to three. Okay. And then he doesn't play any, there's no technology afterwards. So it's nine to three. He does his video games. He does the, he does the streams, eating healthy, works out. I feel like he's the only person I've ever seen where his life looks like it's put together outside of the video game world. Because a lot of the guys who are video game heads and professional gamers, they look a little, look a little beat up. You know, it's like, it's, it's definitely taken its toll. I mean, it's an escape from reality. What video games really is, you know, I could feel like it feels good to play video games. It's that whole dopamine uh, release receptor in the brain. Right. Am I hitting that right? Yep. Absolutely. I don't want to get scientific. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll lose there, myself. Here but, comes your inner nerdiness. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so nerdy. So, <laughs> so smart. Um, but yeah, I just, um, you, you feel that release. You feel good when you play video games. And it, what a dangerous thing to do if that's all you're doing all day long and you're obsessed with that. Like it's, I think everybody knows at least one kid in their life, whether it's a family member, or a friend, where you could honestly say like video games ruin their life. Like it just, they're in a really bad spot. I don't know where they're 30. You know, they've never left their parents' house. Um, and where do you go from now? You didn't, you didn't focus on school. So you don't have the degrees to like get a job that you'd feel is uh, worth, worth having, you know, you're just in in a tough spot. And then what do you do? Do you start hard right now and, and, and go to school and start a new dream, but you've been, you've had such bad habits for so long. So you have so many terrible habits to break at that point. So what's the percentage chance of actually coming out of that hole? That's why I think it's so important to have healthy habits as a, as like a kid, you know, you have to start early because if you don't, it's just such an uphill battle that I don't know how many people are going to be able to break. If you, if you're not in a job that you want, and then you could get government aid, you know, you could just be okay with that. And that's, you're going to get more money having the government aid than you would, you know, working at a CBS or McDonald's. Okay. I'm just going to stay at home all day. And I'm just going to take that. I understand because you're 30 some years old, you might have a couple kids and, you start feeling bad for yourself and it's, it's hard. It's hard. You so you see all these successful people that didn't do though, make those bad decisions, you know, their whole life growing up. It is. I mean, it's sad and it's, and it's avoidable, right? So like, if you look at it and you're like, if you can just from a, from a familial or a kid standpoint, the brain is not done developing until 29. So those, all of those neural connections that you're getting as a kid, like going out and throwing the ball for your kid, that, that ball, that eye hand coordination, the catching, all of those things are creating neuronal connections for your kids. So if they're not doing those things and all they're doing is sitting behind a video game, that's wiring their brain in a very different way. And if you look at, essentially, if you look at a PTSD military combat veteran, and you look at a kid who's playing say Halo or a violent, one of those shooting violent video games, the brain uh, heightened arousal and alerts look the same. And so what you're doing is you're putting a kid in an environment where it is as if he's in a stressed combat environment on a day-to-day basis. That's not going to do well long-term for that kid. And he's going to have a really hard time to your point coming back. So it, it's, it's the neuronal connections. Like if you can wait till after your like late twenties to ever drink, or if you're going to try any drugs, like I always recommend not doing that, but, um, <laughs> but you know, like I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't know. Thirties like, is probably, the new twenties. Right. You know, but your brain isn't done developing in that time. So I see a ton of my adolescent boys that become, they have like switched over and they like create this kind of like shift and they become, they have a psychotic break with this THC with pot and become schizophrenic. It's like, it's not worth it. And it creates boobs in men. So like, you know, I was like, boys don't want to have like breast tissue. So if you're, if you're under 29, (laughs) don't consume any THC. You don't want to be you don't want boobs. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, so you got to use what you have to me, video games are the same thing. Now, like if you, you're a girl, you do you get bigger boobs? Is that because this no, you do not. No, right, so you get no. it changes the estrogen. Yeah. Estrogen okay. receptors. That's why men get boobs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just think a note to myself, a note to old parents out there, stop being on your phone. You know, when the kids come home, you're on your phone and then the kids want to hang out with you and then you don't want to hang out with them. So, okay, you go watch TV, go play video games. Because I got to do what I'm doing on my phone. We're all the freaking problem. You know, it's not just our kids being obsessed with video games and our kids wanting to be on TV. It's because, 
you're stuck on your phone thinking you're doing something that's worth that's that's important and you're addicted yourself and then it's the kids are watching that and they're going okay my parents are on the phone and i might as well go play video games and then all of a sudden you realize that your kid's going down the wrong path because he's obsessed and addicted to video games and you see now what we're learning about what it does to the brain and it just we have to stop we have to be better we can't be lazy you know? All about balance. Be be the example for your kids. And I promise, I mean, you've got an 11 year old, like I have teenagers, your kids still want your time. So even though they're moody and like, you know, they push you away, you know, my son tells me all the time how awkward I am. I'm like, I see teenagers for a living. So my response to that is, you want to see awkward, I'll show you awkward. Like I can get awkward <laughs> real fast like, yeah, yeah, yeah. on this stuff. Um, but like, I'll just go in like after school, he'll be in his room and he'll have his guitar. And I can tell he's not, he's probably like partly studying, partly probably talking to friends. And I'll just go mm. in, sit on at the end of his bed and just kind of hang out. And he's like, what are you doing, mom? I'm like, just listening, like what's going on with you. And so he'll te- technically, he like, he'll typically set it down and he'll jump back into the guitar. And he's like, Hey, this is what I'm learning in school. And um, you know, my husband picked up guitar so he could play with the kids and I play piano a little bit. So not as good as my kids do it at any means, but I'm, you know, you try to do those things with your kids, even if you're not great at it to show them, you don't have to be perfect. Like you're at the top of your field, right? I'm at the top of my field. If our kids only see that it's hard, right? Um, they need to know that we aren't awesome at, at everything. We're awesome at the stuff that we might go out and do because we're good at it, yeah. but they need to also see us struggle to find a C chord or, you know, that, that they can be kind of the, the experts in our house. So spend time, like give them the, the, that place to, to, to trial and error with you. Cause that's what they need. Yeah. I will say I, that's a great point. I think it's important for people to hear. Uh, and I do a great job of being a complete failure in the house. My, my kids see me get yelled at by my wife for not doing the things I'm supposed to do all the time. So they know I'm not perfect at everything. <laughs> Very <laughs> far awesome. from it. Um, you have a CNN hit today. Is that, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Well, I appreciate yeah. you fitting. Very fancy. <laughs> Just I know. Holy smokes. Um, I don't know how you're going to follow this, uh, follow yeah. and going ahead into that now, but, um, Question. So technology is constantly evolving and it's flying into our face and it's in our homes without us realizing what it really is. Have you ever, have you looked into like 5G and like the the blue light and any of those type of things? I know it's not, I don't know if it turns into a psychological thing, but I, I don't know if this transitions over to medical or not, but I would love to know your opinion on it. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I'm not, uh, educated on like the, the rays and all of the stuff from the 5g that's hitting us. I do know that we are moving in that direction. I know that from an Intel perspective in my kind of that side of work that they they can use that in order to identify like if people are carrying weapons and things like that, that is probably in a, in a society of people that are kind of a bit unhinged might help us in the future, but, but we don't really know generally what that's impacting us for. Um, again, that goes back to the spectrum. Some people are super sensitive to it. Some people are moving off grid and getting away from any tower they possibly can because they, they have a sensitivity and feel like that that's what's impacting them. I don't know enough about it on that end. Um, I'd probably refer you, um, Dr. Amen, Daniel Amen is a very good friend of mine and he does the brain scans and all of that stuff. Um, He's a psychiatrist and, and really is the guy who I lend to. I let him scan my brain. Um, Got, I've got a few holes in there that I'm trying to repair right now. Oh, no big deal. Some spackle. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it's, it's in the occipital lobe. It just means I can't put outfits together and, and like, you know, put a house, (laughs) lay out a house. I'm not very good at that stuff. Oh, you can't all be perfect. I mean, I think you did a great job. A lot of people, People who want to be like you. So you're doing great. <laughs> um, so, so I would say like lean into like probably more of the medical experts um, and talk to them about that stuff. You know, I, I think that from a standpoint of what the public should really be paying attention to is what is the insidious infiltration that these social media and platforms are doing on our family level? You know, how is Instagram, Snapchat, you know, TikTok, um, all of those things. Uh, I have a, our house, we don't have, our kids will not be on social media. They won't be on it until after they um, get into high school. Um, unless they have, you know, again, like if they have to do something for an academic or an, uh, 
a sport presentation. So I think about LinkedIn for adults, right? Like kids can use platforms that where they're only specifically putting their sport, right? As your kids kind of get older, but in terms of social platforms, it's just, there's too much negative. Um, I gave you the statistics earlier. I'll send you that report so you can kind of cut some pieces out of it um, for social, but it's not worth it to me. And I, and I see the difference, particularly with like um, the sexualization of young girls um, starting um, really, really early for them. And boys, average age of first porn viewing is eight and chronic viewing begins <laughs> at 11. So um, oh, that that's terrifying. That's so another th- under talked about topic. Yeah. I mean, we could do it. We could do a totally yeah. another talk if yeah, you want to um, yeah. and just dive into that stuff. Because to me, it's, you can't talk about it enough. Um, and people like you that have younger kids, I'm always wanting to kind of share this information so that your audience, um, it maybe can get ahead of it mm. uh, because it's, we definitely need to pay attention to that. It's, it's not fair to our kids. Um, but I would say that that's probably the one that I would worry most about. Yeah. Um, what do you think of starting a, so obviously like our kids in sports and colleges, like a lot of them are now looking on their social media. So if your kid has a sport that he wants to get into college for, it's important for him to have that social media thing going. So the coaches could check out, you know, what he's got going on, see some of his highlights and it, it goes viral all of a sudden, you know, he's going to have full scholarships somewhere, you know, um, what do you think of as an option, the parents starting an Instagram for their kid? doing the videos and the kid not really being involved with it. Totally. I think that that's exactly what, what, so that's what we're setting up. So my daughter's in ninth grade and she's in ECNL, like the top field of soccer. Um, She has that genetic code of elite athlete, which you have. I don't. (laughs) So um, uh, she's already two inches taller than me and and just like a beast. So for her, I, under my Instagram, I set up a secondary account. We haven't loaded anything yet. I haven't made it public, Um, but that's our intent is to do it under a parent account and then have it managed by us and specifically more of kind of a business presentation so that she can actually share information with colleges and recruiters and things like that, that she needs her academic. Um, it's, it's, al- it's also crazy because it like I've always battled with it. I haven't set up any for my kids yet, but a lot of fighters and people with a strong uh, presence on social media set up ones for their kids because at the end of the day, it, it could end up being a business for that kid. You know, he all of a sudden, you know, he turns 17, you hand over this Instagram to him and he has a million followers because his mm-hmm. dad was plugging him in on posts. And I haven't put too much thought into it, but I'm starting to lean towards maybe doing it and, you know, giving him that opportunity to where, okay, listen, here's this. And now you get sponsors, you can, you know, start making money. So you have to kind of think about the age of consent. So my always thought is I've I've done talks on like what I call, um, sharing like where we're sharing as parents, our kids stuff. And so if you think about kids that are put online at like really young ages, and there's, there's a lot of celebrities that do that too, you know, oh, yeah. does your kid, and, and I think about Paris, um, Paris Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson's um, kid, because uh, suicidal twice has been hospitalized twice. Like they, they didn't have a choice, right. Didn't have a choice to go out and be put in the public spotlight because everything was brought in early for them. So you have to think about like, is your kid old enough to be able to have that conversation? And, and what are you jumping into at age 18? If you're going to hand it over to them in high school, what, is, how is that going to impact them in high school? And wh- how will they handle that power? So to me, maybe a good analogy would be, are you going to hand a 16-year-old the keys to a Lamborghini or are you going to make them drive a, a Honda Civic and be a little bit humble? <laughs> Freaking very good point. Like you're, you're handing them, you're just giving, it's a handout, you know, you're giving them something without them working hard for it. So how much are they going to really appreciate it as well? You know, what's, what's it really doing for them? Yeah, they, it, those lessons is resilient. So I'm not saying not to do it, but be thoughtful on why you're doing it and what is the psychology and the maturity of the kid you're handing it over to? Can yeah. they handle it? Yeah, and no, and would just... they would they use that power wisely? That's the part that it's like, okay, if I'm 18 and I have 2.5 million followers because my mom is, you know, the Kardashians or whatever, um, am I going to go to college? Am I going to find a career? I'm going to have an identity separate from who my posting public persona is that now is a job that I didn't really work for and didn't try out for. Yeah. Right. So that's, you that's live the your challenge. Whole life thinking like, Oh, I, I never got to try this or do that because I was given this, you know, and then that could lead to probably depression. Right. And anxiety. It can. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. And I, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Dr. Lightman, thank you. Yeah. Hey, I do have my bachelor's degree in psychology, so that's why I, I love it. get along so well. You know? Yes. Yeah. You, well, you definitely know all the science behind it and you've got it. And you've got, you've got three kids and they, so far they're safe. So yeah, you're doing, yeah. you're doing an upstanding oh, job. God, yeah. Wood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, honestly, I could talk to you forever. You have so much, uh, input that I need as a parent to survive this crazy world. Um, but let's do this again some other time and, uh, appreciate you coming on and you got CNN. So best of luck and have a great time. Awesome. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. I really want to thank Dr. Lisa Stroman for coming on the show. Uh, obviously, she's super busy. Um, right after this hit, she had to go and do a CNN hit. She's done multiple TED Talks. She really knows her stuff, and she's been involved in these serious topics of technology and its addiction issues uh, for the last 15 years. Uh, so to be able to have her come on and shed some light on what's going on, um, I think it was super important for me to hear, for me and my kids. Uh, and to just help spread the word to everybody out there on what you're getting yourself into when you're looking on your phone, when you're on social media, uh, when you're playing video games. I think it's just important to have um, the knowledge of what is going on inside your brain and the possible risks of getting addicted to it. Um, awesome to talk to her about you know, masks and her thoughts on that and just issues during the pandemic and uh, what's going on with the Facebook whistleblower. All great stuff. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. Remember, if you want to hear more conversations like this one I just had with Dr. Lisa, all you have to do is click that follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do your listening. I've also got a YouTube channel. So if you want to watch the podcast or check out some videos about my recovery, please go subscribe to that as well. Have a great weekend. I'll be back next week with another great guest. But until then, I'm Chris Wyman, and this is Won't Back Down. Thanks for listening.